You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Blogging Heads TV. Uh, this is Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Ari Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Kathy Reisenwitz. Uh, Kathy, could you please introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I am a writer, blogger, activist, and sex worker. My substack is kathyreisenwitz.substack.com. Um, I call it Sex in the State, and it is a newsletter about power. And then I'm also on OnlyFans at OnlyFans.com slash Kathy Reisenwitz. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to to talk to you. Uh, well, thanks for taking the time to come on. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to be talking about OnlyFans uh, and maybe some associated topics today. And uh, I, I think this was in my mind because there was a story in GQ about OnlyFans and people who are content creators or I don't know what the uh, term of art is on OnlyFans. And, um, and I saw that you have one um, and you've been on, you've been on the site years ago when Kevin Glass had a, uh, had a show. And I kind of knew you from there and from just around the web as sort of a libertarian writer and wrote about sex and stuff. Um, but I was, I was somewhat surprised seeing that you have your own OnlyFans. Well, why don't we, there's probably many people in the audience who, don't know what OnlyFans is. So could you please define what this website is? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if Instagram and Patreon had a baby with more nudity. So um, what it is, is it's a social media site. So you go in and you scroll through people's profiles that you're following. Um, The difference is that you can make your profile paywall. So I, for example, my profile, you subscribe for $10 a month, and then you see all of my posts. Um, And you can also send messages to your followers. And um, yeah, it's a it's a place where nudity and sex are welcomed and acceptable. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Okay, so it's a somewhat new site within the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's been around for a few years and then really kind of exploded. Um, A few things happened. Uh, It was shouted out by Beyonce in her feature on Megan Thee Stallion's um, song. Uh, I forget the name of the song, but it was a popular song. Uh And um, Bella Thorne is an actress who famously started an OnlyFans and um, then pandemic happened. And so it was like a confluence of like everyone's stuck at home, sex workers not able to uh, work. And um, so they, they went to OnlyFans and then, you know, people needing new outlets for entertainment. So that brought the the subscribers and um, yeah, it's, it's grown crazy, uh, crazy amounts in, since pandemic. Right. Um, so I think I can't remember exactly when I first learned about it. Definitely. It would have been within the last two years. Um, and I think, so I've never, I don't have my own, but maybe I should start, um, you know, in this, in this economy, but, um, I, I mainly was, um, something. So actually I, there was someone, t- an organization tweeted a, a kind of joke or joking on the square line that made me think a lot more about OnlyFans, which was, um, Substack is only fans, but for takes. And then, so I tried to find who did that. And then it was associated with you. And, and so I just, I, I sort of screen capped it, but there, someone was an organization, like a modeling agency or something was promoting your, um, your Substack. And it seemed like maybe they traditionally are more promoting only fans or something. But I mean, the model does seem 
somewhat similar because it's sort of independent creators uh, getting, you know, some sort of subscription. And then I guess there maybe are, are things usually emailed to people or usually just you have to go to the app or the website to see see the content? I mean, it's kind of like a, any other social network in that you can opt in to email notifications um, and then to see the content, you would go to the website. Okay. So... Yeah, so, and, and within also, within the past year, like, Substack has really blown up, especially just in the past couple of months, as some prominent um, people who were also on bloggings back in the day, like Matt Iglesias and uh, Glenn Greenwald, sort of left traditional media purchase to start their own thing for, for various reasons. And it, it made me think about how, you know, this is, I guess it's somewhat well-worn idea that, like, porno pornography has been an innovator in technology and often like porn gets there first and then the rest of the culture catches up to it. And this does seem to be happening. So like VHS tapes or something or online porn, obviously um, uh, online video, um, you know, pre-existed in the porn world before it, you know, moved on to non-porn <laughs> stuff. And yeah, so then just the idea that like, Oh, we're going to, um, you know, have a regular exchange of content for being a subscriber, uh, and you, you know, uh, the subscribers pay. Like that seems like a model that a lot of people outside of porn are are moving to now. And so you also you also have a sub, so you have a Substack. Do you charge for your Substack? Do you uh, do you only charge for OnlyFans? Is it a package deal? How do you separate those things? Yeah, so my OnlyFans is all paywalled. Um, there's no free. Um, content on my OnlyFans. And interestingly, yeah, there's there's some innovation in the space. Like, for example, with OnlyFans, a lot of people will have like a free profile and then um, a paid profile and, you know, put different content on each profile. But then AVN Stars is a competitor to OnlyFans and they allow you to have one profile, but make some content paywalled and some content not paywalled. So for example, like a lot of people will use Instagram as kind of a lead gen channel for their OnlyFans, where with AVN stars, you can just put all the content you would have put on Instagram um, on your on free on the free setting. And then um, try to entice people to upgrade. Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. is and is ADN I, I adult have... adult video news? Yes. Okay. Uh, is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that's I. Yeah. And... Th there's a famous David Foster Wallace um, reported piece in which he went to the ABN Awards, um, and it's in one. It's in one of his. It's not in. Um, I think it's in Consider the Lobster. Um, and so that that that's mainly how I know ABN. Um, I will sure. that, but he um he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't paint the entire. This would have been probably in the circa two thousand five or something. You know, he he did not have a favorable favorable view of of the industry as a whole or this particular event that, that I recall. Um, but yeah, so it sort of seems like are so are both. So it would AVN the fact that they're the sort of the Oscars of the porn industry, as I understand it. What are, are they more sort of people who are already in porn doing this, and then people who are uh, I don't know, not, or I get, this is their first entree into porn or doing OnlyFans? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely that brand perception of this is where, yeah, the people who are already in the industry, but I think that's true of OnlyFans as well. Like, especially at first, OnlyFans, I think, was mostly um, 
you know, sex workers and porn stars. And you've only recently gotten the whole like people trying adult work for the first time on OnlyFans. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of, of AVN and fun media, I enjoyed the um, all gas, no breaks coverage of AVN as well. Um, it was funny. I don't know. I, but as someone who is sex positive and uh, someone who creates porn, uh, there's a certain amount of tut-tutting and, you know, uh, finger-wagging and in, in all this like kind of normie coverage of the industry. It's, right. And it's also difficult to separate the things that are genuinely problematic about the industry, particularly around power differentials and just general squicked outness about sex. So it's almost like it's difficult to find a good critique of the porn industry because, um, and it's just, and that's just generally true of like, you have an embattled group of people who's just like, let us work without stigma and criminalization um, and, and we'll work on fixing the industry from the inside. And then you have people who have an agenda to further stigmatize and criminalize. And so there's this pro-porn and anti-porn and just talking about the realities of porn in a nuanced way often gets put to the side. But to go back to your question about my Substack, it is mostly free because, I mean, my life's work is, is writing and I want to change hearts and minds and putting my work behind a paywall is going to limit the number of hearts and minds it can change. Mm -hmm. So, um, but some of my posts that are more personal and less about social change, um, I do have paywalled and there is the option to support my work. Um, if you want to upgrade just to support me, um, that's, that's something you can do if you don't want to see my nudes or give only fans a cut, uh -huh. um, you can upgrade on my Substack, or you can just PayPal me, however you want to support me. <laughs> Um, so, you know, so Glenn Greenwald, uh, you know, left The Intercept, which he co-founded because he didn't want to be edited. And then he went to Substack and then all the hardcore Glenn fans can pay him directly. And no one, no one is editing Glenn. And so it's, it's kind of more like, it, it's a weird, there's been a weird circle of like returning to the blogosphere sort of world where everyone's just doing their own thing, except now it's, there's a, a very easy way to monetize. Um, is there some similar parallel in OnlyFans, where there's people who want more creative control or are tired of having, <laughs> like, a, you know, uh, someone, I don't know what the exact equivalent of, you know, the editor would be, but are, are there are there people who are, because most of the stories about this are sort of like, well, I never considered doing it, but then I saw this, and then I would try it to make some money. But are there people sort of, like, are sick of the mainstream porn world and just want to do their do their own thing or because of the pandemic the the mainstream porn world couldn't continue as, as, it, as it was before both both and I, I think one thing that's really interesting about pornography and sex negativity and stigma is that people kind of assume that things are more different than they really are but I think that actually every nearly everything that's true about the so-called like creator economy um, or the, 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 their, the passion economy, like whatever terminology you want to use um, is true across the board, right? So you have the power law where a few people make shit tons of money and everybody else makes almost nothing like true on Substack, true on OnlyFans, true on YouTube. Like it's true across the board. Right. Um, the trade-offs of you have to build your own distribution 
um, without these, uh, you know, entrenched media properties. But then, um, you know, you you don't have the gatekeepers, right? Um, you get to keep a higher percentage of your income and earnings. Like all this is true across the board, no matter what platform you're talking about or what kind of content you're creating. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So part part of the um, the idea that the, this world is is sort of a, a winner take all or like a power law where you know ten percent of the people are making ninety percent of the money or something along those lines um, has been highlighted in some of the coverage of this and also and so there, the the story that was in the Times, which we'll, we'll link to these stories. So the Times story was from January: jobless selling nudes online is still struggling, and so that sort of painted it as. Yeah, there are some people who, you know, young women who got into this having never done it before, and they became super successful, or at least successful enough that they could earn a living during the pandemic um, from it. And then, but there's many more people who got into it and they weren't able to make a lot of money, and so they have more ambivalence toward it. And um, it, yeah, in the same way that you know Greenwald and Iglesias are are, are able to make a quarter million or something. Whereas most people who are don't have the huge name recognition or whatever, the clout, you know, can maybe make some extra money or almost no money. Right. And I think that this is something where the average person has a pretty good understanding that if they like start a blog tomorrow, nobody's going to be or like, you know, 10 of their friends maybe will be interested in forking over money to hear what they have to say, but like, it's going to be a slog. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think that because sex work is so taboo, people really like, they'll say things like, Oh, I should just give up and, you know, be a stripper. Like that's easy. It's like, no, like being a stripper is not, none of this is easy money, but I think because it's so stigmatized, there isn't a general understanding of like, sex work is work. Like it's a grind. You have to build up a client base. You have to build up an audience. Um, and just, you know, just like if I start writing my analysis of world events as someone who has no brand and no differentiating factors, no one is going to care. If I start posting nudes, like there's a lot of nudity on the internet. People, right subscribe to an OnlyFans for the same reason they subscribe to a Substack because they're interested in that creator because that creator has a certain um, hook, you know, a, a point of view, a differentiation. Um, and I think that the difference is relationship, right? That you subscribe to someone's Substack versus subscribing to the New York Times because you're invested in that particular personality. Like you care about their point of view it's a relationship to and to to invite them into your mind on a regular basis same for pornography right yes you can absolutely go to Pornhub and see uh, a, a variety of of bodies right but people subscribe to OnlyFans because they're interested in a particular personality a, a particular person and they're, they're having a parasocial relationship with that person right um so I, I feel like this is the conversation about porn that has mentioned Matt Iglesias more times than any other conversation about porn. But when Iglesias came on blogging recently and was talking about his Substack, he said it was sort of like um, going to uh, a concert and buying the band's merchandise. 
Um, because you know you're sort of, in that case, you know you're paying like $35 for a $2 t-shirt or something, but also you're affiliating with the particular brand. And so, you know, it's not, obviously not an exact parallel, but when you're subscribing to Iglesias's um, thing, you're both saying, I value his, uh, you know, his takes, his writing, and like, I want to support him as a person who's declared that he's like gone independent, basically. Um, and so, I mean, an obvious question about porn is like, yeah, there's like free porn online. There's a, as much free porn online as, as there's like free opinions about whatever online. And, and, um, so why, if, if you can get it for free, why pay for it? I guess is, it would be the like stupid, um, <laughs> version of that. So what, so you think it's, it's because of the relationship and also like saying, I want to help this particular person. Yeah, I think the reason you would pay for porn is the exact same reason you, similar to the same reason that you would pay for a Substack, right? Like, yes, opinions are like assholes. Um, <laughs> yes, everyone has one, you, and, yours you prob- and yours see, probably stinks. Yeah, if you want to see a random asshole on the internet for free, you absolutely can. If you want to see a random opinion on the internet for free, you absolutely can. But if you want to be a, um, I don't discriminating uh in your in your asshole consumption um and your opinion consumption then you find the creators that you support and you care about and i think there's this yeah i really just think it's super analogous it's like i you know follow matt i I don't know if i do currently but i have in the past followed matt iglesias on twitter and um you know if he started only like, I would love to see my favorite writers naked. Like I would, because I, not because I think that they're sexually arousing necessarily, they might be, but it's just because I'm interested in them. I think they're interesting people. That's why I follow them. Right. Um, Are there, and so I think that. Go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just think that it's, it's again, my overarching point is it's way more analogous than people assume because, mm-hmm. Ooh, it's sex. It's like, it's all kind of the same shit. Like, we all are just interested in each other and want to be close. Right. Um, are there other people who are doing what you're doing of both, like, uh, being on OnlyFans and being a content creator and doing some sort of analysis of the general climate? Are there, like, are there other people who have both an OnlyFans and a Substack? Yeah, well, uh, Substack, I, I couldn't tell you, but um, I'm sure. Uh, but... Actually, the way I got on to OnlyFans was I follow, again, I'm not sure if I, I'm pretty sure I technically follow Ayala Girl on Twitter, who's like kind of um, a thinker. And Right, so she's she's the main she, main person profiled in this GQ story, which we'll link to. So Ayala, is that how you say her name? I wasn't quite sure. I, I'm not sure. Ayala is how I say it. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but so she started on OnlyFans and she had been a sex worker and had made porn years ago. And I knew that about her. And um, so she got back into the game, essentially. And then um, she and then Car- Caroline Calloway is another writer who is big on Instagram um, and then also um has written for publications and is has started her only fans and her only fans like Ayala's definitely like incorporates her personality and her point of view into her content and 
Caroline um, is really into like books and reading. And so she'll like cosplay as literary characters. Okay. Yes. And I did. I saw something about that. Yeah. So Cal- Calloway is, um, I mean, there's been like, she's one of the most like written about people of the millennial generation. Probably if you've never heard about her, a very like wild story overall, but I didn't even know. She did something on Twitter where she was like, if I get something, 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 then I'll like show my tits or something. And then, and then like, so everyone was like going around into doing, it. I can't remember exactly what she was. Maybe it was subscribers or something or other. And then, and then she did it and people thought she would get like, um, taken like her account taken down or something because she was showing nudity on Twitter, but Twitter, um, you know, is very poorly managed in all sorts of ways. And, um, and, and so she, I, it, maybe it's still up, but she left it up for a long time. Um, and yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, some people say there, you know, there's like probably a podcast series that's all about analyzing or something. Some people think she's more on like the grifter side of things. Other people do not, but, um, it, it's interesting that, that she's doing that, um, as well. So to you- me, like what was interesting is not, I, I want to make it very clear that I do not, support Caroline Oriella's ideas so much. <laughs> I think they're both a, a very mixed bag. Um, it's more that I think that there's this, I know that there's this idea in culture, explicit and implicit, that you're either smart or you're sexy. Like you're either as a woman, like you're either a thinker or a thought. And this to <laughs> thought, me like- T-H-O-T thought, not- Right, right, right. Um, and to me, it was just like, I, I was like, oh, like these women who I associate with their thoughts, not T-H-O-T, <laughs> are naked on the internet making money. And I'm surprised by that, which means even I have internalized this idea that there is this split. And so if I've internalized this idea, like, this is worth fighting against and I need a way to support my writing because I don't want to charge for it. Um, and so, yeah. So, so I, I, I was like, let's give this a whirl. Like, again, I would like to see my favorite writers naked. Maybe other people feel the same way. And and a few did. Um, so how has, how long have you been on it and how has, how has the experience been, especially maybe comparing to other like, like straight media, um, uh, type of jobs or situations? Yeah, I mean, I'm not quitting my day job anytime soon. Um, it's, you know, I'm in the top like four or five percent. Um, I have been on it since May and it's, it's a great, it's a really nice side income. Um, to me, like the most interesting thing about it has been, it's been a forcing function to uh, encourage me to, examine my own hangups you know like I am a very sex positive person that's my whole deal um but I was like I I was embarrassed to show my butthole to the internet and you know I had to think about like somebody could screenshot this and like you know uh put it public and you know like what would that mean for me like and I had to be like in my mind like I think that that's fine who cares it's a butthole we all have one but in like in my heart, I was just like, oh man, I was scared and nervous. And so it's been really interesting to like all these things that I would have never really had to think about, like to have a reason to think about it and a um 
in a practical way. Mm-hmm. So that's been really that's been really cool for me. Um, I think other things like one of the things that I really wanted to do was like make porn that I want to exist in the world, and I've done a little bit of that, but not nearly as much as I would like to. Um, and so just seeing like. I mean, a lot of it's obviously pandemic, but um, yeah, like what are the blockers? Like, why does this porn not exist? Um, learning in 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 real time, uh, you know, what the hindrances are to to making good porn. So yeah, it's been it's been really great. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not easy money, that's for sure. Right. Um, so another time that OnlyFans like broke into mainstream regular news is that uh there was this um story that the new york post did late last year where they reported on this woman um who was an emt in new york in new york city and um and basically outed her as being on OnlyFans, and it was a very strange thing it was unclear what how like any like more like you know what editor let this go as like having any public news value obviously the new york post prints a lot of like salacious garbage kind of stuff but it was essentially just like there's this like there's this attractive young woman and she's an emt and like she has an OnlyFans, and so i think the woman ended up like thinking she would have to resign from her job or something or or it's, it was just a huge mess and was it was very strange yeah so that was sort of like the puritanical um yeah, side of American culture, like striking back against the stuff. So, what did you, uh, what do you think of that incident? I mean, uh, <laughs> I thought I thought I didn't make this point, but I saw it made on Twitter. It's just like, why is the story not fully employed woman needs feels like she needs a side job? Um. Like, why are we not talking about the economic reality? And someone who is an EMT during a pandemic in one of the most hard hit, you know, places in the country. Yeah. So you definitely could have flipped the frame around and been been like, you know, this is why these people need to be paid more. And that's, that's what's so insidious about sex negativity is that because it's default, we don't see it. And so, for example, in the New York Times piece that you talked about, the framing was jobless and on OnlyFans. OnlyFans is a job. Like it's not, it's like sex work is work. These people aren't without work. This is what they're doing for work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there was recently a story where a woman had her kids in Catholic school and the Catholic school kicked them out because they found out she had an OnlyFans. Um, I think wow. the, the whorephobia in our society, like, First of all, again, like we need to talk about why people are doing work that they don't want to do. Um, we need to talk about the lack of social safety net. And then um, when we talk about sex work as being exploitative or whatever, okay, we'll create better alternatives for people. But shaming people and kicking their kids out of your school and firing people, that's that's not pro woman. That's not, um, that's not going to help the situation like that, that creates more stigma, shame and exploitation and more power imbalances. So I think the way that the media covers only fans and sex work is, is very default very horophobic and, and hard to, to pick up on, um, again, because it is so default. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, kicking the kids out. So the, the woman, the woman was not connected to the school or the church. Is that just her kids were enrolled there? And I believe so. That's that's pretty wild. That seems like something out of you know like the seventies or something. But uh, you know, apparently not. Um, so something that um, just sort of breaking news that happened just today was that Twitter. They didn't officially announce, but they kind of were doing some sort of like investor presentation. And they said that they are planning on introducing something called super followers, um, soon. And, and so immediately, like the, the metaphor that everyone reached for was OnlyFans. Um, and, and so I guess, so the idea is that basically Twitter will allow users to charge their followers for access to some sort of content and, um, and try to, and I guess take some kind of cut of it. And, uh, uh, just as a side note, I, I've been kind of like half joking, half serious that the way Twitter should try to make money is charge people to tweet. And then that would get like 90% of the people out of there. <laughs> and like you would really like, there were fewer like total junk tweets if people were paying even just like five or 10 cents per tweet. But so I, that's kind of sort of a joke, but I, I do think that you could imagine that model uh, making more sense than like looking at these ads that. I don't know how they make any money off these ads because who would ever click <laughs> Twitter ad and make some sort of purchase off it, except perhaps if they're going to uh, an OnlyFans or some other porn site um, where they can, you know, uh, see attractive bodies. Um, and then a lot, so then a lot of people on Twitter were like saying, well, I, you know, like, I, I'd be out of here. I would never like pay for this shit. <laughs> and, um, and, and people, I think RIP Twitter was, was trending at one point. And um, I, I would certainly think it'd be better for the world if Twitter stopped existing given everything that's happened over the past couple of years but what, what do you think about this and um as like this sort of model coming <laughs> coming right now and i assume they wouldn't let people like make their make an only fans on twitter because while there is porn on twitter they want it to sort of be like a family friendly or sort of thing um and so it would be sort of like here's my special joke or something or i don't know exactly what they envision it happening, but what do you think about this? I think that it's, I'm of two minds about it. I'm of a few minds about it. I think that the idea of um, removing gatekeepers is, is good. And we're right now, the algorithm is kind of a gatekeeper where what you see depends on, what the algorithm wants you to see based on what they think that you're going to engage with and promote. And I think that algorithm driven news media is pretty, has been pretty bad for America. Um, I think that we have seen the hollowing out of original news and reporting and, you know, it's expensive to find facts verify facts, um, provide nuanced, thoughtful, informed, professional analysis of those facts, like, oh, that's really expensive, and not super profitable, um, versus outrage, identitarian conflict content, um, which is, and disinformation, which is extremely cheap to produce and extremely profitable. And the algorithms promote it because it drives engagement. So I think what we have currently is bad and I would like to see it be less bad. And I think that 
a situation in which what you see is determined by who you subscribe to um, could be better. And I think that having people kind of, instead of all shouting at each other in one big Twitter, like, and this is what I kind of see happening is like, people are kind of (sighs) balkanizing into these little micro-ish communities around certain thought leaders. And I think that in some ways that's better because misinformation travels less quickly and far. And um, I think these thought leaders are probably better than uh, the algorithms. But I think the negative aspect of that is one, um, you, you start to have a very clear line where how wealthy you are determines the quality of the information and analysis that you have access to, um, which I think is problematic. And you have a problem of um, it doesn't solve the problem and it probably exacerbates the problem of different Americans having access to different facts um, based on their tribes and their social groups. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really hard to have any kind of national unity or shared vision or um, shared values when the basic facts that you are aware of and familiar with are not shared. Um, and so that's my worry about this balkanization of online communities is that it will further exacerbate this unmooring of reality where, I mean, frankly, a lot of Americans don't have access to basic facts and and have a steady stream of, of just wrong or misleading information um, coming into them. And without any kind of kind of centralizing function, um, that seems like it would get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the era when everyone sort of was getting the same basic news probably, you know, went out in like the seventies or eighties or when the cable news started up. And obviously there, there were always like niche sort of, you know, radio outlets or magazines or newsletters or something. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think this, you know, like if if we just solved this system, we're still back in like the world of, you know, 1999 or something where it's like CNN and MSNBC and Fox news and PBS. And, um, and, so it seems to me like sort of the Pandora's box has, has been opened. And I don't know if we can, we're all ever going to get back to some sort of agreed upon reality um, in, in America. Just see, and like Trump just, you know, shattered, you know, Pandora's box was opened and then Trump like threw it out the window of a skyscraper and it's, it's, it's gone forever. Um, but yeah, I do think it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting um, that, this model seems to be just, I mean, it's, it's a subscription model. It's it's as basic as it could be. Um, but it does seem to be attracting some amount of success right now in various worlds, the OnlyFans world, the Patreon, uh, world, the Substack world. And, um, whereas the, you know, fighting for, uh, the most hits so that you can serve the most ads, um, you know, led to a lot of, perverse incentives. And if you look on like, this is sort of a weird hobby course of mine, but if you look on a lot of rep- very reputable website websites towards the bottom, there are these little strange ads and they're sometimes called chum in the, uh, in the business. And there'll be like one actual article from 
the website that'll be something about like uh you won't believe what this actor looks like now and then something like you know uh white woman killed in your neighborhood <laughs> and then something about like seniors getting a discount on refinancing their homes and and so that is all like sort of a weird um scam world that even like very, you know so, like sites like the nation or like cnn or like usa today and all its affiliate local news sites have all that all that shit at the bottom and so there's like people who are like a somewhat sort of out of it or confused or something and they like click on it thinking like this is legit and then somehow they're getting you know someone's trying to scam them and so if you just kind of like move all away from that that weird system that seems to you know um tabula and ad choices maybe there's another one but it seems to like undergird a lot of like serious reputable outlets when it's you know it's just like scam trash so that that, that if, if that can go away because people are just like okay we have to pay some amount of money for this stuff if we want something good given to us and this uh this world where everything was delivered to us for free if we look at ads like that that was that was a mistake <laughs> do you have any thoughts about that I have a lot of thoughts about that. Not about the particular Taboola situation, but I have a lot of thoughts about, you know, I used to be much more of a free market fundamentalist. And I thought, um, I grew up conservative and I thought that the mainstream media was, had a huge liberal bias. And I thought the internet is going to fix the news, right? Because we would get rid of the gatekeepers and we would democratize it and we would insert competition into it. Like a lot of the issue with the legacy media has been that they had monopolies um, because a town would only support however many newspapers, you know? Um, And what I realized is, you know, I'm not a market fundamentalist anymore. Like the internet (laughs) is not fixed news by any stretch of the imagination. And the problem with the market is that it's made up of people and people have um, exploitable uh, cognitive deficits, frankly. And um, again, one of those cognitive deficits is that if you give someone two headlines, one is uh, confirmation bias, identitarian conflict bullshit, and the other is a well-reasoned, well-researched um, piece of information that's going to make them a better citizen, like they're going to click the the clickbait. And if you design a system to reward, uh, to exploit what's already true of, of humanity, then you're going to just get a lot of, of bad shit. And I think that's what we're seeing with the news media right now is that, again, the incentives are just really disaligned against um, truth. <laughs> against analysis, against uh, the things that we need to be responsible, useful citizens. Um, And so I think that I don't have the solution. It's probably going to be nonprofit. Um, I, I, I don't see a way to make what needs to be made as profitable as what as clickbait. Um, It's, it's not, I don't see a way to, to do it. But, um, but I think that we're not even like fully aware of how bad the status quo is, like how much we've lost in that, you know, mainstream media was legacy media was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, like it had its problems for sure. 
but not having like any kind of shared idea of facts like what is true like for example the reality of the situation is that voter suppression is widespread systemic and absolutely determines the results of elections um voter fraud has not for the past 50 years been significant enough to to turn elections and yet in the conservative media atmosphere the picture is presented in the opposite of what's true where if you only consume conservative media you would assume the opposite is true that voter fraud is widespread systemic and turns elections and that voter and, suppression in fact, in fact is, the, the, the last election was stolen from president trump and if you go to a rally on you know in washington dc we can you know uh, go to the capitol and let them know like what what we think about this and they'll they'll be able to fix it and i just i think that people have not connected the dots that it's this ad-driven click-based model that's caught that caused the capital riots like you can draw a direct line um and that's bad and like we need to reckon with that as a society mm-hmm. um yeah and i i don't want to um make the like make the sort of pre-internet pre-clickbait world look great because it had all sorts of problems of its own and one of them was the last episode i did talking about the Britney Spears documentary and all the ways that you know uh traditional uh broadcast and print media uh treated her very very badly um so that they could you know, get higher ratings and and sell more copies of of their magazines or whatever. Um, so so yeah, so there's it's <laughs> there's problems all around. Um, so you 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 said something that actually um, reminded me of another kind of avenue I wanted to at least briefly ask. So you said you grew up conservative, and in this GQ article, I think they profile like six or so different people. Almost all of them, it says they grew up in a conservative or religious household, and um, and then for some of them their family does know what they're doing. And some of them, this woman, A.L., like her family was um, like very involved in um, like the, her local church or something. And like some person who wanted revenge against her, like sent the, like a image from her, her pornography to her father, like on a live stream that he was doing for his church or something insane like that. But um, is this, is this common? Is there a connection between people who grew up in a conservative or religious family and then, they um they end up you know being sex sex workers is is that or is that just a coincidence it would be i am not familiar with any empirical research on this whatsoever i don't know but i do think that there's a connection and this is really just based on a hunch i don't again don't have any data that people who grow up where sex is a big deal sex continues to be a big deal, right? That that doesn't really change about someone. And so um, you can change your perspective on it, but it doesn't change the importance to you. And I think that you've you got to keep in mind the um, people have different levels of sex drive, obviously. Um, people have different levels of just like interest in sex, like as a topic of, thought and conversation and then people have different levels of like sexual flexibility and so i think that if you combine like if you take all the people who grew up in situations in which sex was like a big damn deal um and then you take those 
people who have a particularly high sex drive from those environments, then yeah, I mean, they would probably be overrepresented in porn and sex work. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, there's sort of a pop Freudian explanation you could apply to it of like, people who were like forced into repression in their childhood, like, you know, went in the other direction as adults. Um, but it is, I mean, if you think like, there, there's some portion of Americans who are, you know, sex negative and worried about too much sexual influence on their children or something or other. And then if that like ends up backfiring, then that's, I don't know. There's a, there's definitely an irony there. If um, all the, you know, daughters of rural ministers are ending up on OnlyFans 20 years later or something like that. Although it's obviously not uh, that extreme, but um, it is. Uh, well, it's funny too, because it's like, people have it's not just like religious people right like lots of catholics like really don't give a shit about sex lots of especially like higher church protestants like don't really give a shit about sex like it's just not a big deal one way or another and i think that to me like when i was growing up everyone who i was close to seemed hung up about sex one way or another like it just seemed like a big damn deal and um, I also have a, a higher than average sex drive. And I just thought that everybody else was repressed. And so if anybody wasn't talking about sex and wasn't sex positive, then I was just like, oh, you're, you're repressed. And as I've gotten older, I realized, no, a lot of people just don't care either way and aren't very horny. Like, it's just not interesting to them. And they don't have a big sex drive and they're just thinking about other things like they're uh -huh. not repressed it's just not interesting to them and that was like a really big aha moment for me and like a slowly slowly occurred to me and I think <laughs> that if you don't grow up in an environment where sex is a big damn deal then people for whom it's a big damn deal either way are really mysterious to you you're like why the fuck are you going on about this and for me it's because because people are still growing up in uh, environments where it's a big damn deal and it's bad and it's shamed and it's stigmatized. I'm not after you. Like you're allowed to not care. Like go on with your bad self if this is not interesting to you or important to you. But like trust, believe that for a lot of people it is, and that a lot of people are being, you know, brought up in this in this culture. And I would say that like just default in the American culture, we have this horrible worst of all worlds where sex is constantly pushed in our face and stigmatized and shamed at the same time. Right. And, um, and that's what I'm fighting against. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that you can see that in the, in the Britney documentary also, uh, to get back to that one, because there's this, you know, um, titillation with her and all the like interviewers are asking her, or like kind of the male ones are leering at her, but there's also this like revulsion and, there were all these, you know, parents who were thinking that Britney Spears was going to corrupt their children or something. And her, the fact that she was in this line between, you know, the schoolgirl innocence, uh, but also, you know, sexiness and, and so forth like that drove a lot of people crazy in the late nineties and early two thousands. Um, and there does seem, I don't know, there, as I mentioned in this previous episode, like this podcast you're wrong about. Um, and, uh, with Sarah Church Marshall fan. and I, so, and Michael something, I can't remember the, the, male hosts, uh, Hobbs. Michael Hobbs, and they're, they look, and so they're looking back at a lot of 
stories from, you know, sort of the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, um, and sort of like re-examining what really happened. And a lot of them involve some kind of young woman and a moral panic around her sexuality or, or something like that. And and so the, the this the Britney documentary is sort of the most uh, like mainstream version of this way of reinterpreting recent history of being of like looking back at the media and everyone's like wow like how did how did everyone think this was okay to like treat this poor woman this poor young woman like this it's it's just crazy that did you listen to the um, Jessica Simpson series of you're wrong about I did not it was really interesting because it brought up that you know Brittany got on uh, Mickey Mouse Club and Jessica didn't. And then Britney got signed to a major record label. And then Jessica didn't because they're like, we already have a blonde virgin sex pot uh, singer. And so, and and Jessica Simpson, it, it talked about like, they read the lyrics of Irresistible, which was her like big breakout hit. And it's all about, it's two mm. Swedish guys writing a song about how uh, you know, I'm a virgin and I'm supposed to wait, but I just find you irresistible. And how, like, you know, no, like, 16 year old girl, like, would have written this. It's just pure, like, male gaze bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, you need to be sexy, but you need to be a virgin. And, you know, you need to be saving yourself, but really horny for me. And, like, it's just, this um double bind that women are in that's just impossible to navigate right and i mean the, the culture has definitely shifted since then and there's there's new you know there's new novel ways i guess that the culture you know tries to heap abuse upon young women um uh but maybe that's get, getting too off topic for for this conversation um is there anything else i mean we should wrap, wrap it up there you want to anything else you want to say before um before we close out Sex is inherently morally neutral. That's the big takeaway. Sex is inherently morally neutral. Pay for your porn. Um, Support your favorite writers on Substack and OnlyFans. And uh, let's build a news media ecosystem that actually promotes and disseminates factual information grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. Um, So if some people want to... Uh, check out more of your work in all categories. Uh, would you direct them to your website or is there some other place you would direct them? Yeah. Um, Substack, uh, kathyreisenlist.substack.com is where you can read my latest writing. And um, kathyreisenlist.com has links to my Substack and my OnlyFans and my Instagram and everything. But it's all Kathy Reisenwitz because uh, I usually get the name without any competition and uh, I want to be easily found. So, um, <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that's good. So there, I, I've experienced this too. There are some advantages to having a unusual name. Um, you can usually grab a, uh, any particular uh, URL you need. Um, and, uh, so thanks for coming on, uh, Kathy and talking about, uh, sex and porn and OnlyFans and the media and all sorts of other stuff. Um, And thanks to all of our viewers and listeners, and we'll see you next time.